Hello, I'm Daniel Morris, Senior Investment Strategist for BNP Paribas Asset Management, and welcome to this week's market podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined this week by Richard Barwell, who is the head of our macroeconomic research and investment strategy team. And the theme this week is inflation. Richard has just written a paper titled Inflation Genie, which you will find on our blog. And this week, we'll be discussing some of the themes that Richard addresses in his paper. But before that, let's discuss the markets. Of course, we've just come to the end of the second quarter and what a second quarter it was. Uh, One of the best uh, quarters for equities in decades, certainly not uh, a quarter that very many people anticipated. U.S. markets up uh, around 20%, emerging markets 17 Europe lagging as it often does, 10% for the quarter, uh, but 30% returns for technology, which actually there highlights the concerns that a lot of investors have now going into the third quarter uh, with returns like that. What more can we expect? Now, of course, it wasn't just equities that did well. You also saw outstanding returns in credit markets, particularly high yield. Uh, even though in the quarter, U.S. Treasury yields, for example, uh, were more or less flat, moved in a very limited range over those three months, even as equities uh, went up a lot and spreads came in. In terms of what we could expect into the third quarter and through the end of the year, well, remember, equities are still down negative year to date, uh, about 10% down from the highs that we saw in February. So there is still some room to go to make up what we had before. Uh, Investment-grade credit spread still about 40 basis points above levels in February, high yield 175 basis points. So even though we've come back a good ways, uh, we're not all the way back. Now, the main driver for all of this is, broadly speaking, the better-than-expected economic data that we've had over the last month, uh, most recently uh, another strong month of payroll data out of the U.S., And for example, if you look at the city U.S. economic surprise index, it is at all-time highs. Now, that's the very positive environment that equity markets and credit markets have been paying attention to. But at the same time, we are very aware uh, that there are increasing risks and, in fact, increasing infections, notably in the U.S., where the rate of infections has almost doubled over the last several weeks. And deaths have increased by nearly a third, or the rate of uh, deaths has increased by nearly a third. So that's uh, obviously a threat to the markets, a clear risk if uh, particularly governors and mayors in the U.S. decide to at least partially reimpose lockdowns, as we've seen so far uh, in at least 20 states. And then more broadly, we wonder, well, what we're seeing in the U.S., what's the possibility I've seen something similar in Europe as economies there progress with their moving out of lockdowns and the tourist tourism season kicks into high gear. And the broad concern then is whether or not a second wave leads to a double dip. That's our environment as we move into the third quarter. But as I said, this week, the theme is really inflation. And at times, it seems hard to remember inflation or to think about inflation. But if anything, Uh, The concerns have been rising about a return of inflation. People talk about disrupted supply chains, resumption in demand, and so on. So if I could start with the first question for you, Richard, are there really grounds for investors, at least in developed markets, to worry about inflationary risks in the medium term? Uh, Thanks, Daniel. I mean, I think that's 
that's exactly the right way to frame the question because I, I, I heard the cynicism cynicism in your voice uh, and there, there is a lot of cynicism around. I think investors have heard these stories about inflation many times before over the last decade uh, and they've just not materialized. And actually, if if I think about our base case view, I mean, our base case view is that the inflation problem we will face in the years to come is probably going to look a lot like the one we're experiencing over recent years, which is too little inflation and not too much. But I think the the kind of fact or the, the view that motivated the piece is the idea that the risks around that view now have increased substantially and on both sides. Uh, so the, the probability, I think, now of too little or too much inflation has significantly increased as a result directly and indirectly of the pandemic. And there may be ways to think about that if I could just briefly talk you through both of those stories. So the, the, the too much inflation story is a can be as a result of a combination of factors. One might be, and you mentioned it there, this, this idea of a huge disruption to the economy, the supply side of the economy, uh, reducing capacity, which would mean that even if there wasn't a huge resurgence in demand, actually capacity pressures could start to build, even at high levels of unemployment, low levels of activity, and that would be consistent with rising inflation. But actually much beyond that, we can, we can imagine a world in which some companies regain pricing power, maybe through the default of competitors, maybe through the kind of reshoring that we might expect to take place. Uh, as a kind of reverse from globalization. Maybe as a result of government measures, either increases in minimum wages after the pandemic to try and satisfy low-income workers, or higher indirect taxes as a result of a combination of things, either to kind of deal with environmental challenges or deal with problems in the public finances. Uh, and last but not least, actually, the risk could come from are concerns among the investor base and maybe even households and companies too that the, the regime we've been in of, of low and stable inflation has been has been lost. And if there's a loss of confidence in, in price stability, that can feed through into higher inflation. At a national level, you can see it materialize most obviously in a, in a weaker currency, which would lead to higher import prices. So that's the kind of upside scenario where we're thinking about and worrying about, which has been is much more likely in our mind than it was before, thanks to the pandemic. But it's not a one-way risk. There's also, I think, now a significant risk of much too little inflation. And that's a story, I think, dominated by persistent weakness in demand, dragging down costs and prices. It's the story about teleworking, something we're all increasingly familiar with. If we all work from home, then is it the case that occupancy costs for companies in large uh, urban centers will fall dramatically? That's a falling cost that might ultimately feed into prices. It's an idea that consumers may ultimately be much more discerning going forward, given squeezed incomes, uh, and that could reduce the pricing power of companies. Uh, and it's also the idea that if we have a very long period of low inflation, we could actually de-anchor expectations in the other direction, that people will start to expect that low to no inflation is just a new way of life, and then we'll see inflation drift lower. So key message, our base case is things will likely continue more or less as before. But message number two, the risks around that in, on, on both sides, I think, have increased significantly. So the chances that inflation genie does pop out of the bottle, I think, is, is, is much increased than what it was. As you highlighted, most people tend to think more about the risk of disinflation than inflation. 
but certainly uh, very good to remind people that those risks have changed. Nonetheless, when we think about disinflation, of course, we look to Japan. We think of Japan. Is the Japanese experience and Japanification the relevant roadmap for investors in developed markets? Well, to twist the analogy maybe too far, I'm not sure it's the map of the, the of where we want. Well, it's certainly not the map of where we want to go, and it's probably not the map of where we're likely to go. But I think it is a vivid illustration of what can happen if we veer off that road, if there's an accident. Uh, and Central Bank 101 says, do everything you can to anchor expectations on your target and never take inflation expectations for granted. Uh, if we do have a very long and extended period of very low to no inflation, I think there's, there's ample evidence there from Japan. And I think there's some worrying evidence, I would say, elsewhere, for example, in the Eurozone, that you can start to sap confidence in the framework. You can de-anchor expectations. So I think it's a very real risk. Uh, I think the clear message from from the Japanese experience is don't let it happen in the first place, because once it does happen, it can then prove very difficult to re-anchor expectations on your target. It's no once you're in that situation, it's no longer sufficient just to to address a recession in the economy to drive an economy back to balance. You actually now need to overheat the economy to push inflation back up where it belongs. And you can imagine that's going to be a very hard thing for central banks to do when they have so little monetary ammunition left. One last point, though, to make on Japan, which I think is is not discussed as much as, as the kind of risk to expectations is, actually, if you look on the real side of the economy in Japan, uh, it's not such a disaster as it's made out to be. Yes, they've had very disappointing outcomes on inflation, but on things like unemployment, uh, it's not been so bad during these so-called lost decades. Uh, and actually, they've managed that period of so-called poor macroeconomic performance with a, a good deal of social cohesion. Really, I think the question we have to worry about is if we end up in a Japanification situation, could we handle it or could Europe handle it as well as the Japanese have? Uh, and obviously, if you think about Europe, these things are much harder to deal with when you have one central bank and many countries and many countries with, for example, very different uh, fiscal burdens. So not where we think we're heading, but very much something we should worry about as investors and policymakers should worry about too. Of course, the reason we focus on inflation, uh, particularly if you're a fixed income investor, is because that matters quite a bit uh, when you anticipate what your total return is going to be. But of course, it's also not the only factor. And the other thing that's weighing on fixed income investors' minds is what's happening with government debt. Now, as central bank balance sheets expand and government debt increases, isn't there a risk investors take fright regardless of the level of inflation? So I would say this is the million-dollar question, but given the size of these QE programs, that feels wholly insufficient. I think, I think in reality, there's a risk that investors can take fright, again, on either side. So if we, our starting point here should be we've had this enormous crisis. And in this enormous crisis, governments have been forced to take the lead. Finance ministry has been forced to take the lead. And they have needed to spend whatever it takes to nurse the economy through. And that means issuing whatever it takes to finance the spending to nurse the economy through. So there was inevitably going to be a glut of issuance. 
And that's before we start talking about cyclical deterioration in the public finances that would also lead to higher borrowing and the necessity of stimulus as we come out the other side. All this is adding to borrowing. And for me, it was essential the central bank step in and purchase those bonds to avoid the bond market in some places getting indigestion. And that could have led to kind of, you know, in the worst case scenario, a fiscal crisis. And again, that would be a great way to achieve a kind of deflationary outcome. Uh, but on the other hand, you are exactly right. There's also a risk that investors might start to see that we have found a new way to finance government spending. So to my way of thinking, central banks buying the, the debt that's issued during this crisis, printing money to do so, and those bonds remaining on balance sheet for the foreseeable future, I actually have no problem with that. I think that's perfectly compatible with what central bankers call monetary dominance. I think that's perfectly compatible with doing what it takes to achieve your inflation targets. The problem is when this becomes the norm, and this is not the way we finance just extreme measures in an emergency, but it's the way we finance day-to-day spending. And if we go to that world, then we've lost monetary dominance. We're into a fiscal dominance regime where you cannot depend on price stability, and you should probably expect inflation to drift higher both directly and as a result of its expectations effect. Now, the trick is, how will we know whether this will happen? And investors will be constantly looking at what finance ministers are doing and what central banks are doing and trying to make a judgment call on whether we have slipped regime, whether we've moved away from the model we've been operating under under recent decades. And that's going to be the trick for investors, thinking about the chances that we've shifted to this regime of fiscal dominance. Uh, and there'll be a judgment call, and they may take fright. They may see the central bank balance sheet getting too big. They may see no commitment to wind them down. That may scare them. And then the question is, how will the central banks respond? If they see inflation expectations moving higher, that would then lead to inflation moving higher, will they be willing to raise interest rates or sell those government bonds to regain their credibility? And that, that, that's a tough question to answer because that would end up pushing down aggressively on demand. That would be a very bad situation to be in, and we should hope we don't get there. But obviously, as investors and people who advise investors with research advice, this is the scenario we are very much concerned about. This is the inflation genie scenario, and we have to think about how the market will react and how central banks could respond in that scenario. So to recap Richard's points, the first question, whether or not we really need to be worrying about inflation, the answer is, in a sense, yes and no. The risks both of higher inflation, but also disinflation that we've been worried about for a long time, both have increased because of the pandemic factors that could arguably push inflation up, supply disruption, rising pricing power for companies and so on, but at the same time, uh, lack of demand and plenty of other effects from the pandemic that could push inflation down. Now, whether or not Japan is the future, not necessarily, but certainly a warning sign of what can go wrong, especially if inflation expectations move further than certainly the central banks might like them to. Uh, So the key message then for the central banks is to not lose control of inflation expectations. But at the same time, Richard reminded us that for all the concern we have about Japan's experience in many ways, by many measures, uh, they actually have gone through the last several decades better than many people appreciate, particularly if you look at, say, measures of social cohesion and the employment rate. 
probably in the longer term, what we really all need to be thinking a lot about is whether or not the phenomenon we're seeing currently with the big increase, not only in government spending, but to purchase by central banks of that debt, whether or not it becomes another new normal. Now, if that happens, certainly significant implications for investor expectations, and then the ball will be in the central bank's court, how they react to that, and certainly a lot of uncertainty and something that we are very much studying because of the importance for fixed income investors. Well, that's it for this week. Just to remind you again, Richard's Inflation Genie paper will be found on our blog. Thank you again for joining us this week. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. Otherwise, thank you again. We wish you a good week and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.